0: Hi, I'm Nikki, and here's a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. The One Retreat is a great way for our students to encounter God and build lasting friendships. This weekend retreat will be in Cincinnati, and we'll be staying at the Great Wolf Lodge and spending a day at Kings Island. They can expect to have a ton of time of worship and just experience their lives being changed. This retreat is October 21st through the 23rd and the price is $175 for the first 50 people. So be sure to register online at cccgo.com slash one retreat. Thursday, October 20th at 6 a.m., our men's ministry is having a big breakfast for all of our guys here at church. It's going to be a great way for you to get to know some people you might not have met before and just check out what our men's fraternity does all throughout the year. It's going to be a great breakfast, so please come hungry. Let us know you're coming by registering online at cccgo.com men. Have you been to My Crossroads yet? If you haven't, simply type cccgo.com/mycrossroads in your browser and log in today. This website allows you to give your weekly online offering, register for events, see the church calendar, and interact with any group you're a part of. So, what are you waiting for? Go to My Crossroads today and get started. For more information on these events and the many others that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com.
1: Whether we know it or not, just about all of us have a natural tendency to run away from God. We may choose to run from God because we fear what He may think about things we've done in our past. We may run towards things in which we place a higher importance or value more than our relationship with God. We may run down a path that has us go through a predefined set of motions or blindly follow a set of rules that we think will bring us closer to God, but that actually ends up being a substitute for a real relationship with him. In the book of Hosea, God uses the troubled relationship between a man and his wife to illustrate the fact that he is patiently pursuing us, no matter what we've done or how far we have run. God loves us regardless of how many times we've said to him, catch me if you can. Well, hey, I remember back one summer, I was in middle school, about four of my closest friends were over for the afternoon. And after about a few hours, we were bored and we didn't know what else to do with our time. You know that that's a really dangerous thing, right? Well, just at that moment, my buddy Tom pulled out of his backpack that he had brought from his house, a packet of water balloons. And he suggested that we all go have a water balloon fight in my backyard. Now, I quickly spoke up and said that this was a really bad idea. The guy next door had been cutting my neighbor's yard for about an hour or so, and I realized that the compassionate thing to do in that moment was to help him cool down. And so I spoke up and I said, guys, why in the world would you want to have a water balloon fight when we can go nail that guy who's cutting grass in my neighbor's yard? And so everybody thought it was a great idea. We filled up water balloons, put them in a water cooler, and went over into our neighbor's yard and got into position. Now, you need to realize that there was a horse pasture that separated our yard from my neighbor's yard, and it worked perfectly in our favor, all right? And so we're hiding behind these really tall oak trees, waiting for the guy to come back around. And as he got closer and closer to us, I realized in that moment that he looked a lot different up close than he did from far away I mean he was ripped he had sleeve tattoos on both arms he just kind of rode his zero turn radius mower with a mean kind of scowl look on his face no lie I looked over at his red Dodge Ram pickup truck and there was a bumper sticker on the rear window that said this guns are like a beer cooler they are best used when full and completely empty afterwards And so I'm really having second thoughts at this point. But before I could even speak up, my buddy Tom said, all right, on the count of three, let's nail this guy. One, two, three. And so we all jumped from behind the oak trees. We threw our water balloons at one time, and three of us, 60%, nailed this guy, all right? Two of the water balloons hit him right in the face. (laughs) Now, I can't remember exactly what our expectations were about how he was going to respond after doing that. But I wasn't prepared for what we experienced. As soon as those water balloons hit his face, he immediately jumped off his mower and gave the loudest bare redneck growl that I've ever heard in my life. And it frightened the heck out of us. And so we immediately took off like a bunch of sissies. And it gets a lot worse. So we're running through this horse pasture. This redneck is chasing us, all right? And as I am running, my left foot catches a hole in the ground that I didn't see. My ankle sinks about 10 inches down to the the bottom of the hole. And as I collapse to the ground, I feel my ankle just snap in an instant. Yeah, as quickly as I fell, I got back up and I kind of hobbled back over to my parents' yard and we were out of breath. I mean, we were scared, but as we looked back, we realized that we had lost the guy somehow, some way. And in that moment, I didn't really care about my ankle just having broken it. I didn't really wonder about how I was going to explain it to my parents. I mean, my buddies and I, we were just relieved in that moment to be home safe and sound in the safe confines of my parents' yard. Now, a day later, my ankle didn't look much better, so my mom had to take me to the doctor, and I got a cast put on it. And so, Mom and Dad, if you're listening, that's really what happened, all right? Uh, You didn't get the full truth. I'm sorry about that. Now, we all know that at some point, if you're being chased, that chase has to come to a close at some point, right? Right? I mean, we learn this as young kids. If you're being chased on the playground or at recess or in the backyard, the chase at some point is going to come to a close, whether that person catches up with you, you get injured, you fall, maybe you hide, right? I mean, at some point, you have to stop running. You can't keep running forever. And so for the past few weeks, we have been in this series and we have been using the metaphor of running as a way to describe how some of us interact with God at different moments in our life. And what we've been doing is we have been looking at a story in scripture, a book in scripture called Hosea, because in this story we read about how God's people at one particular point in time were wanting to run away from him and so God's response was to chase after them in return. Now, you need to know that our desire to run from God is a very natural thing. It's kind of been passed down from us from one generation to the next. And so realize that God is not surprised by our desire to run from him. And so what we're going to look at today is what happens when that chase comes to a halt. We're out of breath and God catches up with us. Where where do we go from there? What's next? So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and jump to the Old Testament book of Hosea. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black Bible right in front of you. That's our gift to you. Feel free to take it home when you leave here uh, at the end of our services. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, uh, there should be a Bible right on the table as you walked in. Uh, A moment ago. Now, Hosea is right in the middle of your Bible in between the books of uh, Daniel and Joel. Now, if you haven't been here for the past few weeks or you're a guest with us today, uh, let me just catch you up to speed with what's been going on in this story. All right. God told a man named Hosea to go out and marry a prostitute named Gomer because their relationship was going to illustrate God's love for his people that had been running from him. Now, realize that when we say God's people, we're talking about the Jews, the Israelites, the Jewish people, all the same people, okay? And so we're going to throw around several terminologies uh, in the next few moments, but we're all talking about the same group of people. Now, the Jews had a very back-and-forth relationship with God, and where we pick up today, they had been running from him. They wanted nothing to do with God, all right? And so God's response was to chase after them. And so all throughout this story we see different ways that that God chose to use to run after his people. Now the most shocking thing about the marriage between Gomer and Hosea was that even in spite of all of Gomer's unfaithfulness, and we're going to look at some different moments in her life today, in spite of all of her unfaithfulness, never once, never once did Hosea serve her with divorce papers. And so could it be that that describes God's radical love for us? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 8, all right? And we're going to pick up uh, in verse 1 here in just a moment. Realize we're going to jump around a little bit today, um, but that's okay because we're going to understand a fuller picture of what was going on uh, then. Now, all throughout this story, the the most common picture that we're given of what it looks like for when the run stops and, and we give ourselves back over to God is this imagery, is this metaphor of returning home. All right, so we return home after being far away. And and again, we see this played out between Hosea and Gomer. Gomer had hit rock bottom in her life when she sold herself literally to be a sex slave. And so rather than rejecting her, rather than keeping her at an arm's distance, rather than saying, hey, you know what, I want nothing to do with you any further, what we see Hosea doing is going out to the slave market and purchasing his wife to be back home with him again. And so we see this played out in chapter 3, verse 3. Look at what Hosea says to Gomer the moment they come back home. He says, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, Hosea says, you will not have any sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. Now, we learned this last week when Hosea bought Gomer at the slave market. He was really just reclaiming what had been his from the beginning. I mean, after legally purchasing her, Hosea did the unthinkable. He brought her back home. Now realize that this was not a place that she deserved to be. This was not a place where she deserved to go. And yet God told Hosea to do this. Why? So that we could have a better picture of what it looks like for us when we run and we reject God. And yet he still chases after us. And so at the beginning of chapter 8, God warned the Jews of their sin and how things would go if they didn't turn around, if they didn't stop running. Check out what God says, starting in verse 1. He tells the Jews, put the trumpet to your lips, an eagle is over the house of the Lord, because the people have broken my covenant. In other words, my people have chosen to leave me, to reject me, to leave this relationship that I've had with them. And they've rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you, but Israel... God says, has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. He's describing their idolatry. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves. Where does it lead? To their own destruction, God says. Now understand that in the previous uh, verse, verse 1 when god says to sound the trumpet the sound of the trumpet was a warning to the israelites that god was going to allow their enemies to invade them to defeat them and to overtake them this was their punishment for choosing to walk away now before you just write this off as god you know getting revenge or getting back on his people what if this was a more aggressive approach for god to pursue his people so that he could finally get their attention And you see, what God often does for us is he warns us ahead of time about where our life will end up if we don't make some changes. A couple months ago, our family moved homes across town and we took about two weeks to slowly move our stuff from our old house to our new house. And so one night around 1 a.m., I was making one last trip to our old house to get some of our outdoor furniture to bring over to our new house. It was 1 a.m., I was tired. Anybody love moving here? Yeah, nobody, all right? And so I was frustrated. I was just annoyed, and I was ready to be done for the night. And so I got all of our furniture, put it in the back of the truck. The last thing I was to get was our gas grill. Now, I went to move our gas grill, and that stupid thing wouldn't move for the life of me. At 1 a.m., I'm pushing it one direction. I'm pulling it another. I start punching it, and I'm... I mean, I'm just letting off a lot of steam, trying to get this grill to move. And so finally I conclude, I'm just going to let this thing have it. And so I walk to the opposite side of the deck, all right? I get a running start. I sprint towards the grill, jump up in the air, and karate kick it. (laughs) If only you would have looked out at my back window at that point in time. (laughs) He's crazy. Glad he's moving. All right? (laughs) (laughs) And so finally the grill moved, it toppled over and I fell over flat on my back and it really hurt. But as soon as the grill fell over, all of a sudden I heard the sound of a hissing noise. I thought to myself, oh, no, what has been going on here? Well, come to find out, I couldn't believe I couldn't remember it, I opened up beneath the grill, and there the grill had been connected to our main gas line that went into our home. It didn't have one of those little propane tanks. And so when I kicked it, evidently, I totally broke the nozzle that had been connecting the gas line to the grill. And so instantly, I started smelling this horrible odor of rotten eggs you know what I'm talking about I mean natural gas was just everywhere and so I'm kind of panicking panicking at this moment and then I realized hey I've got to go turn off the gas line uh over by our house can't really turn it off right here at the source and so that's what I did and ended up being okay our energy company came out later to verify that I had done everything uh perfectly and miraculously actually had for the first time in my life all right <laughs> But come to find out, one of the reasons why gas companies inject their gases with that odor is because natural gas typically doesn't have an odor at all. And so if you breathe it in, it's a really harmful chemical that ultimately could lead to your death. It's why some people call natural gas the silent killer. And so apart from that really horrible stench, that horrible odor that gas companies inject into their gas lines, you wouldn't know what you were breathing in. And so that odor, as uncomfortable as it may be, serves as an alert that, hey, if you don't act quickly, things could end badly for you, right? And you see, sometimes, as uncomfortable as it may be for us, the most gracious thing that God can do for us is warn us about where our life is headed if we don't make some changes. And so maybe for you, the the trumpet sounding in your life came came through a confrontation, maybe that a friend had with you about the way you've been talking to your wife lately. Or maybe your warning came in the form of a really descriptive dream about, hey, where a relationship is headed if you don't stop flirting with him at the office. Maybe you walk around just with this weight. You feel shame. You feel guilt all the time. Maybe you're experiencing conviction. And so could it be, though, that though it may not be comfortable in the moment, that that is God's way of pursuing you in the moment? In verse 4, we learn the motivation Behind God's warnings and willingness to let the Israelites be taken captive by another nation, the Jews weren't just running away from God, but realized that they were running towards destruction. And so in love, God says, hey, here's where you're headed. This was a serious wake-up call for them. And so for the next few chapters here in Hosea, God continued to describe what was ahead for the Jews if they didn't stop running. But then at the end of chapter 11, God promised that his judgment and punishment would be followed up with restoration. And so I want you to notice the shift in tone and posture that God makes here at the end of chapter 11, starting in verse 8. God says this. He says, My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God, and I'm not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities they will follow the lord he will roar like a lion when he roars his children will come trembling from the west they will come from egypt god says trembling like sparrows from assyria fluttering like doves i will settle them in their what their homes declares the lord i love the comparison that god kind of teases out here God says that that he is like a lion and all he needs to do is roar and people will come towards him trembling with fear. And so what does that make us in comparison? We're nothing but pathetic doves and sparrows, God says. And so guys, next time you're tempted to post a selfie when you're at Bob's gym, all right, because you're really impressed about your muscles or your biceps, just remember you're nothing but a sparrow or a dove that's fluttering in the wind, right? I mean, Rarely do we think of ourselves in that way, yet compared to the God of the universe, he's a lion and, and we're nothing but, but birds. Now, verse 11 ends with the promise that, that God will win this chase and, and he will bring us back home where we belong. And so if home is this metaphor that God gives us for where we had when the chase ends with him, what, what does this really look like? Well, let's, let's clarify some things here. Number one, Let's, let's see this, that home is where life really happens. When God talks about us returning home, home is where life really happens. Now forgive me if I sound a little bit like Martha Stewart or Joanna Gaines right now. All right, that's not my intent whatsoever. Realize that the Hebrew word for home in verse 11 means a dwelling place. It, it communicates a safe place, a, a shelter now, while a house is a physical structure made with, built with walls and a roof overhead, a home is something that's more personal for us, right? I mean, it's where life happens. It's where you're meant to belong at the end of the day with those whom you love most. Now, here's the thing. We were all created to live in this home that God talks about. This home is where we experience joy and contentment. It's a safe place where we're free to be ourselves. I mean, deep down, you may not see it, you may not even acknowledge it, but it's the place where we were meant to be. This past summer, our family took an extended vacation, and during the last week of our vacation, we, went, we flew out to Los Angeles, California, and uh, when we were out there, I think it was about day four or five, we went to a place called Huntington Beach in the evening, and it was just absolutely beautiful, it was about 65 degrees outside, there wasn't any humidity in the air. There wasn't a cloud inside. And as we looked across the ocean, you know, the brilliant sky that was yellow and orange and pink and red was reflecting upon the water that was coming in and beating against the sandy shore and the cliffy rocks. And you looked behind you and there were just rolling green fields. You, you looked out into the ocean and you could see 30 miles away the silhouette of Catalina Island, which is just off the shore of Southern California. I mean, it really reminded me of the Ohio River. Not really, at all. (laughs) I mean, it was just beautiful. And we watched the sun fade beyond the horizon of the ocean. Now, as strange as this sounds, as I was standing there with my family, I was ready to get home. Now, you see, it had been a long time since we had been home because we had been, again, traveling for several weeks. And and as picturesque as where we were, there was something within me that longed to be at our little messy house in Newburgh. I mean, there was something more enticing about it for me in that moment. You see, homesick is that feeling that we all experience when we're in a place, we're in an environment, we know that we ultimately don't belong, right? And you see, if you aren't there yet with God, and maybe you've been running from him for a really long time. Chances are you've probably felt that homesick feeling as well. Now sometimes that homesick feeling comes in the form of, of emptiness. I mean, you wonder, does life really have meaning? What am I ultimately doing with my life? What, what, what does significance for me look like as, as I move forward into the future? Or maybe you find yourself anxious a lot and and you find yourself always wanting control. You feel like you never measure up. You experience a lot of insecurities. You ever been there before? You see, could it be that those homesick feelings that we experience tell us and inform us that we are living in a place that ultimately isn't our home Now God parallels his invitation to return home with Gomer's life and and see for Gomer she learned that no matter how much money she made as a prostitute it was never enough for her. I mean each man that she had sex with left her feeling less loved than before. What she thought was freedom from an exclusive marriage ended up being something that was an enslavement to a lie. Each time that a guy took Gomer up on her hourly rate, she would think, well, maybe this is the moment where I will finally feel accepted. Maybe this is the time where I'll finally experience acceptance. But you see, those feelings for Gomer left quicker than the guy did. You see, Gomer failed to realize something that we all tend to miss as well today. And it goes like this. She was searching for something that she had access to the entire time. Doesn't that describe a lot of our stories? You see, Gomer had a husband who gave her the love that she needed and the love that she wanted. Now let's take a step back here for a moment. What if their marriage, Hosea and Gomer, it pictures and it kind of illustrates God's relationship with us, maybe more than we're willing to admit? I mean, haven't we all made choices and decisions that led us someplace that you didn't intend to go? I mean, haven't we all carried around shame, maybe for that abortion that you you had, that first marriage, that meth addiction, that porn problem, or all the things that you said to your friend in that moment of rage that you wish you could take back now? I mean, if acceptance and respect were automatic for you, do you really think that we would be so concerned about our image and our appearance all the time? You see, home is where life happens, and we will never be fully satisfied until we stop running and we respond to God's invitation to return. Now, Here's another thing about this home God mentions. It goes like this, that you are never too far to return home. That may be the reason why you came today. You are never too far to return home. Now, one thing that we've learned in this series is that before Hosea and Gomer's wedding, he knew beforehand that Uh, that that she was gonna cheat on him. I mean, he knew the mess of a relationship he was getting himself into. I mean, Hosea was not surprised at all when Gomer got pregnant with another man's baby. I mean, let's be honest, they would have been the perfect couple for the Mari Povich show, you know what I'm saying? Whose baby is it? DNA testing will be revealed immediately after this commercial break. Watch too much TV, all right, so sorry. (laughs) Now, out of all the people that Hosea could have married, Out of all the people that God said, hey, go and marry this person, notice that God didn't say, hey, Hosea, go marry a liar. He didn't say, hey, Hosea, go marry a really greedy person. Or go marry a drug addict or a drug dealer. No, adultery and sexual immorality in the ancient world was punishable by death. It was a serious offense. At the beginning of this story, God didn't tell Hosea to go marry Gomer specifically. He just said to go out and and find a prostitute and, and make her his wife. And so the next thing we're told is that Hosea found Gomer and he married her. Now, don't miss this. Listen up here. Evidently, Gomer had been with so many men that Hosea didn't need to search for very long to find her. You see, Gomer's sin had become her identity in their town. You see, she was known by what she did. Not for who she was. When Gomer got pregnant, she had become so addicted to selling her body that she abandoned her children, left their family, and lived on her own for a little while. And this is when she became a sex slave that we read about in Hosea 3. But even still, Hosea didn't serve her with divorce papers. He didn't dial up his lawyer when he found out about this. Instead, God said, hey, you go, you buy her back, you pursue her. And then notice what God said that this act of love would illustrate in Hosea 3, starting in verse 1. He said this, This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. In other words, this will give people a very practical, tangible expression of my love for them, even though the people have turned to other gods in love to worship them. Now, do you realize what God said here? To tell you the truth, it's really offensive. In fact, when I say it, you may not agree with it. You may push back in your mind, but it goes like this. You and I, we're Gomer. You see we've all sinned and that sin has made us deserving of death just like Gomer's sin right here. And yet in God's grace he has told us that it is impossible for us to run too far from home. The only thing that is impossible in this chase is for us to ever be too far away beyond God's reach. I know that some of us we have a tough time with this but let me ask you this question, what if God's grace what if God's grace has little to do with you in particular, and more to do with him. See, sometimes if we just focus on how big he is, all of a sudden we realize that he really is sufficient to take care of all of our brokenness, right? A guy by the name of Paul said it like this to a church in the first century that he had started and planted. They were struggling with this concept of grace as well. He said, God canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by what? Nailing it to the cross, You see, the cross of Jesus Christ tells us that the mistakes you can't forget are the very sins that God can't remember. You see, what we can't let go of, God doesn't even see in our life. And some of us are running so far from God because you've thought at one point in your life, it would be a good idea to return, but you've thought, you know what, I've messed up too much. I've made too much of a mess in my life to ever come back and return to him. But let me just tell you that, you know what? it is totally impossible for us to not only run too far from God, but if it were possible, let's just say this, if it were possible to run too far from him, we all would. But you see, God in his infinite grace and mercy 2,000 years ago gave us exactly what we needed most, and that was his son, Jesus Christ. You see, when we think that our broken past is bigger than the cross of Jesus, we need to have a better, greater perspective of who God is theologian Bono, lead singer of U2, said it like this. Grace defies reason and logic. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. That's my story. Doesn't that describe some of us? You see, the cross is God's invitation for you to stop running and to come home. Here's another observation it goes like this the way home may not meet your expectations. The way home may not meet your expectations. This sounds a little bit odd. What in the world do we mean by this? Well, the moment some of us stop running from God, we've imagined what our life will look like. We've kind of uh, come up with some uh, pictures in our mind about what a life with God, will, what that experience will, will look like. We wait on what God can maybe do for us. And again, this is one of the things that the Jews were guilty of. You see, the Jews really didn't want the Lord. They just wanted what God could do for them. He just, they just wanted what God could provide. And in chapter 8, verse 2, God condemned them for this posture by saying this. Check it out. Now Israel pleased with me. This is God talking. Help us, for you are our God. God is mocking them for their false impression that they wanted the Lord. You see, the Jewish people wanted really nothing to do with God. They didn't really want to return home. They just wanted the Lord to deliver them from their pain, their inconvenience, and their frustration. In other words, they just wanted a friends with benefits relationship with the God of the universe. I mean, how crazy does that sound? I mean, they thought if if I stop running, if we stop running, then maybe our circumstances will turn out the way that we want, the way that we've imagined. You see, the Israelites wanted God to help them, but they didn't really want God to save them. You see, the reality is there are churches all across the world this weekend, full of people who want God to help them, but they really aren't interested in God saving them. In fact, I'd say that a lot of us, we want God's guidance, we want God's assistance, but few of us actually really want to be rescued. Why? Because saving means surrendering. Being rescued requires admitting that we're broken, that we don't have it all together, and we can't control things. Now, All throughout the Bible, heaven is described as a home for Those who are in Christ Jesus, it's the place where we're ultimately headed. But you see, in the meantime, life in this world is a journey. And we're promised that it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be hard at times. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus told his closest friends, hey, I'm going back to be with my father, and I'm going to prepare a home for you. It'll be full of many rooms. It'll it'll be a really great place. But in the meantime, it's going to be tough. You see, just a few moments later, The Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to a cross. (laughs) I don't know what your expectations may be if you stop running from God. Those expectations may be met, they may not be met. But let me just tell you that, that sometimes following Jesus is really hard. But sometimes it's really difficult to be straight with you. I don't always get God, I don't always understand him. In fact, I would do things a lot differently if I were sitting in his position. There are moments when I think, God, I could do your job a little bit better than you're doing. I've asked God many times, God, why why did you allow this to happen? Why can't you help me control my thoughts? Why can't you deliver me more from my anxiety, from my depression? Why did you allow me to have cancer in my first year of marriage? What's up with that? You see, there are some times, there there are some moments where I experience so much frustration in this journey that I think, you know what? It'd probably be a lot easier if I was just running from God. Doesn't that describe some of our stories? And yet what I continue to be reminded of, what I continue to go back to, is that when I look back on the moments when God seemed silent, when he seemed absent, he was there the whole time. You see, God has continually proven himself to be far better than I could have ever imagined. I don't always like this answer, I don't always like this response, sometimes it seems like a cop out, but when I want an answer, when I want to know why something happened the way that it did, sometimes God tells me, you know what, my grace is sufficient for you. And I've just learned to trust that, right, I can deal with that. There's one last observation that I want us to recognize about this home, and it goes like this, that returning home means turning around. Returning home means turning around. This seems very basic and obvious, right? But turning around is an intentional effort on our part. The Bible word for this is repentance. To repent simply means to change directions. And and so picture yourself driving down the Lloyd Expressway one direction. Guys, you realize you're headed the wrong way, all right? You don't stop and ask for directions. You just turn around. You make a U-turn at a stoplight, right? That's a picture of what repentance is all about. When Hosea brought Gomer back home after purchasing her at the market, look again at what he tells her in chapter 3, verse 3. You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave in the same way towards you. Hosea didn't tell Gomer here, hey, it's okay if you cheat on me again. Or you know what, Gomer, I'll keep taking you back no matter how many times you're unfaithful to me. No. No. He called her to totally change her lifestyle, to change the direction of her life. You see, grace demands change on our behalf. Meanwhile, it doesn't lessen truth. You see, each of us have, or maybe at some point in the future, we'll face a moment with God where we must decide, are we going to turn towards him? or are we going to keep running from him? About two years ago, I received a call that um, I was to head down to the emergency room at St. Mary's Hospital. Uh, Salum, a daughter of a member in our church had just been hit by a car as she was walking down Lincoln Avenue right past the I-69 overpass. And so I got up there in the ICU with the family that day. They had just brought her in. She was unresponsive. She, had, she was hooked up to a life support machine and the feeling in the, in, in the room was just tense and we didn't know what was gonna happen. We didn't think that she was gonna live past that, that afternoon and everyone was crying well she ended up pulling through that afternoon and she ended up living another week and then another month and salem was in a coma for nearly 3 months when she then began to slowly wake up and she then began to regain consciousness and the doctors told salem's family that hey this road to recovery if if she's going to recover at all it's going to be really hard it's going to be long and it's going to be difficult salem was in the hospital for 11 months as she journeyed back towards health again. And it wasn't an easy journey by any means. But she later told me that she had a lot of time there in the hospital room to think about the direction of her life. I mean, she couldn't do a whole lot. She was, you know, restricted by her physical condition. And nearly every single day, her mom, Tariq, was by her side and in between helping her eat, helping her drink. And helping her get up out of her bed. Tariq would have very intentional conversations with her about, you know, Salam, maybe it's time that you really consider the direction of your life and, and you consider following this God that we have modeled and talked about for a really long time. And so Salome, she was more than curious at that point. She was listening, and and so she began to read and research about this God that her parents had been following for her entire life. And and she then began to read the Bible until one day she came back to her mom and in complete surprise, she said, you know what, mom, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to believe. So about a week later, Salome met me up in my office and we talked about her decision to give her life to Jesus. and, And I then walked her through, hey, when you're ready to stop when you're ready to stop running in the Bible, we see that you believe you repent and then you're baptized. And it's the, it's the next step that you take in this journey with God. And, and so Selim, are you ready to make this decision? She said, absolutely. I said, well, normally, you know, we encourage people to be baptized publicly. It's a great way just to tell people who you've identified your life with. And and we don't have to do this because I know that, you know, you've got a lot of issues going on with your body. And it may not be something that that you want to do in front of a whole bunch of people. Why don't we just get your family together? Why don't we get some of your close friends together? And we just have a little private ceremony. And she said, she just kind of stopped me as I was explaining. She said, no, Pastor. She said, no, Pastor, I want everybody to know that Jesus has saved me and healed me. So about five days later, I'll never forget the sight of about four guys picking Salome's body out of her wheelchair backstage here and walking her down into the water into the baptistry. And in front of this service, you may recall, it was about a year ago, she recited the good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And today I take him to be my Lord and savior. And so all of us guys then lowered her into the water. We brought her back up and with a big smile on her face, underneath her breath, she said, thank you, Jesus. She said, I have been washed, I am clean, I am healed. I tell you that story for a few different reasons. You see, God pursued Salome there in the hospital ICU in a way that he couldn't have outside of it. Now, the moment that Salome was baptized, she didn't instantly, she wasn't instantly healed. She wasn't delivered from all of her sickness and illnesses. She still struggles a lot to this day. But I also tell you this to know that Salome is now headed towards a home where she won't have to worry about a wheelchair. She won't have to be concerned about the amount of debt that she's in because of all her medical bills. She won't have to worry about cars staying on the right side of the road and swerving and hitting her. No, because this home where she's headed is a completely perfect place. 2,000 years ago, whenever Jesus walked out of his tomb, crashed his funeral, he told his followers to go out and, and start a movement, which later would become the church, and it's one of the reasons why today we gather together as the church, and, and so the message that this guy had crashed his funeral was an absolutely earth-shattering, shocking message, and, and whenever the early believers, the early Christians, would stand up in a public place and proclaim what Jesus had done on man's behalf, that we could have forgiveness, that we can be connected back to our creator, people would always say okay that's great i believe that what do i need to do and you see the early christians responded by saying repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins baptism was that moment that people identified as hey that person has chosen to stop running away from god they have united their life with him baptism is a significant moment that marks hey the chase has stopped and i'm running the other direction And so, I just want to end by challenging two groups of people in here right now. First group are those of us, you don't have peace with God. You've been running from Him for a really long time, you have rejected Him, and you've got your reasons, you've got your excuses. I'm not discounting those, but you know who you are. One thing I want to leave with you today, one thing I want to challenge you with is this what would it look like for you to stop running? question I want you to just, I want to be on your mind this week goes like this. What will it take for you to stop running and for you to return home? Now, the reason why I ask this is next weekend at the end of this series, when we wrap up uh, the story of Hosea, we're going to end with an invitation to have people come forward and to be baptized. And so maybe next weekend is the moment where you finally declare, I'm going to stop running and I'm going to head the other direction and I'm going to choose to unite my life with Jesus. And so Is that a next step that you need to take? I just want to encourage you to think about that this week and think about what it would look like for you to be baptized next week and when that invitation is given. Now, the second group of us are are those who have maybe been following Jesus for a really long time. You've been baptized. You haven't really been running from him too much lately. Will you just pray for those who need to, to stop running and to be baptized next weekend? Will you pray that, that, that God will give them the courage to step forward, to walk out of their rows and, and to be baptized in front of us all? You see, this is, this is a church-wide thing. This is the moment that we can all come together as the family of God and encourage one another uh, to turn back to a loving Heavenly Father who has our best interests in mind. And so pray for them, but if you're running from God, consider being baptized next weekend. Now, if you're serving communion, we're gonna... Uh, enter into that time now. Communion is something that we do every week as a church. If you've been around here for a while, you know that. If you're a guest with us today, communion is a moment where we just tangibly remember by eating bread and drinking juice that no matter how dark and broken our past may be and may look, God has promised that he's not going to leave us. And you see, he proved that by sending his son Jesus to die the death that we all deserved because of sin in our life. And so just a few hours before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his closest friends in an upper room. And, and he broke bread and said, hey, when you eat this bread, as, when you gather as my followers, remember what I'm about to do for you. They didn't really know in the moment what it meant. But you see, 2,000 years later, we have a full scope perspective of what Jesus was meaning. When we eat bread, here in just a moment, we are reminded of the physical body that Jesus put in our place. That he was our substitute, absorbing all the wrath that we deserve because of Sin in our life. And that cup of juice, what it simply represents is the blood that poured out of the body of Jesus when he was crucified. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so when we drink the juice, we're reminded that we have what we need most in forgiveness of sin. And so I want you to uh, take communion here in the next few moments. We're going to sing one last song uh, and then uh, we'll be out of here. Let me pray for us. God, I know that. Um, a lot of what we just talked about, for a lot of us in here, it seems too good to be true. Some of us are even having fights with ourselves in our mind, well, he can't, he can't mean this. And God knows about that night, he knows about that relationship. And, and maybe that's why some of us have been running is because we just have so much shame in our life, we just can't even see or think straight. And God, would you just remind us in a way that only you can, that home is where we belong that we can't run too far to ever come back home. And we thank you that the cross tells us that the mistakes that we can't let go of are the very, are the very sins that, that you've forgotten. And so as we take communion, as we eat the bread and drink the juice, we, we are reminded of that precious gift of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.